okay, I'm not sure about this photography game. And she said the next morning, you know, are you going to go back up? I said, oh, I don't know. And she said, go give it one more day, you know. And that was that was before he said you told you know you sold 250 books worth of pictures. So the whole photography business of mine was right on a knife edge right there with that conversation. Oh, go on, go on, give it one more go. things I find fascinating are the characteristics behind many different brands. Some of them are outgoing and energetic, some are a little bit more laid back. So in this podcast, we look to explore all the different characteristics, not only of the brand itself, its roots, its origins, but the people behind the brand. And is there a bit of a relationship between the characters of the people and the characters of the brand? Well, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome wherever you are. And welcome to this episode of Legends of the Brand. And today I'm super excited and super stoked to have with us Ross Woodall. So first of all, thank you so very much for coming uh, on board with us today here on the show. Great. Thanks for the invite. No worries. Well, uh, for those of you who perhaps you may not have met Ross beforehand, uh, chances are you may have seen some of his work. If you've ever taken a look at Jaguar Land Rover clothing or apparel, uh, if you've ever looked at a Snow and Rock um, catalog or online, perhaps you've looked at Tui, uh, some of their online stuff as well, some photographs from Andy Murray as well. So you've probably seen his work, but you haven't met the person yet. And hopefully over the, the next hour, uh, we'll introduce you to the man. So uh, thank you so much for having, for coming on board. But first of all, Ross, whereabouts are you here in the UK? You, you are in the UK, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, I'm in uh, sunny old Shropshire. That's not so sunny. <laughs> so uh yeah if you go go through birmingham heading up towards manchester hang your left towards shrewsbury and we're sort of out in the boondocks around there and a little uh yeah a little town called much wenlock nice and uh, that's where you that's where you're currently based but the the cool thing about your background and a big part of your story is you've done a lot of traveling you obviously travel all over the world uh, to a certain extent taking lots of amazing photographs and that's kind of one of the reasons why i wanted to chat with you today is because our paths have crossed a few times but you've also uh, done some amazing work and we'll get to that in a minute but um i've got a little question fun question to start this off with is uh if uh, if if on this podcast if we were to have a soundtrack for this episode of the podcast your podcast what would the title track be for the uh, what would the first song be for this uh, for this podcast? Oh, it would have to be a it'd have to be Rumble On, I suppose. A bit of Zeppelin. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds good. <laughs> so, so now um, the, the other cool thing is that you obviously have a huge passion for snowboarding and mm-hmm. you've had the chance being in the world of photography and uh, doing all these sorts of photo shoots. You've, you've probably seen some amazing mornings and and evening sunsets you've probably had deep powder snow everything like that but if you were to have your perfect fantasy day of snowboarding what would it look like um well a great big helicopter (laughs) and uh, i suppose some i mean these days really not so steep you know but yeah i don't know a good pitch good pitch maybe a meter deep Mm-hmm. And, and 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 just a, a helicopter all day wow yep i'd be up for something like that <laughs> that sounds brilliant yeah yeah so we were chatting beforehand um uh, and we've chatted a couple of times beforehand as well but you've got a really wonderful story as to how not only you came into photography but also how you came into snowboarding 
And mm -hmm. uh, you started off, uh, not started off your, your trade, but you have a bit of a background uh, as an electrician. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, as you were saying beforehand, you ended up in, you ended up getting to the Alps and, and doing some work there. What was it? You, you showed up at the train station with a slab of beer and some tools and said, right, I'm, I'm off to go. <laughs> Pretty much. It was a chance meeting in the pub and a big, long French phone number. And I rang it. And the next day I was at Victoria Station with a toolbox and a slab of Stella. And a, and a long train, a long coach journey down to the Alps. And yeah, I mean, we were renovating a hotel in Alpe d'Huez. And when I got there, I just thought, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm never leaving. I'm never going back to what I've just left because I hated it. So, um, yeah. And, and snowboarding was in its, it wasn't in its complete infancy. I think, I think Jake Burton started in about eight, 84, I think, um, maybe 82. I, but you know, it was come, it was becoming more and more popular, and um, yeah, and I just I, I skied actually for my first season, and then I got halfway through the season, and I thought, you know what, this snowboard is way cooler, <laughs> so I just started snowboarding and just got utterly hooked, and uh, yeah, and I blew my knee as well on the last day of the first season, and I've stretched my medial ligaments on my left leg, so I never went back to skiing, and I've always stayed on a board since. And it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people say to me, how the hell do you get around the mountain on a snowboard? You know, how do you do ski photography on a board? But, you know, those camera bags are pretty heavy and you've got all your weight going forward. And uh, I, I often think if I'd have stayed on skis, I probably wouldn't be doing it now because my knees would be blown to, sh to shreds, oh, <laughs> you know. And sometimes, you know, the old snowboard, you can just stand on it, you know, it's a bit like a door. Especially with this crevasses knocking around, but yeah, that's pretty cool. So, you, uh, you obviously fell in love with snowboarding in, in the Alps, and then um, mm. you spent a bit of time, and I think you went back and you went, you know, you had obviously a yeah. bit of an injury, but um, your travels took you took you down to New Zealand, from, from my recollection, and it was yeah. kind of uh, though you fell in love with snowboarding, your passion for snowboarding took you to New Zealand, and whilst mm. you're in New Zealand, that's when you kind of stumbled across just this photography thing i was wondering if you could perhaps share with us a, a bit of that story and how you yeah yeah i mean I, I mean i mean i was absolutely obsessed with snowboarding that's all that mattered in the world pretty much i just absolutely loved it you know and after a couple of seasons i was sort of i was getting getting okay at it you know um and then i, I went down to new zealand to be a snowboard instructor and I, in fact, I did it all. I did all the NZSBIA instructors course. And you had to sort of, you did the pre-course and what have you. And then they said, you've got eight weeks now to shadow lessons and just go snowboarding. And then you've got your finals in eight weeks time. So, you know, I shadowed a few lessons, but it gave me a lot of time just to snowboard. And, and then I, I met a, a, a pivotal couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, called um, a guy called Tony Harrington and his girlfriend Kathy Brown and um, they I didn't know at the time but Tony was probably Australia's one of Australia's best extreme skiers but he was also one of Australia's best surf photographers and he'd, and he'd been working in Threadbow for years and he'd been up to Jackson and um, they'd set up a photography business and they were doing Tony was doing all, Harrow was doing all this stuff for the magazines, for Powder and Powder Hand in Australia and all this. And Kath was doing that as well, but they, both of them were standing at the top of the chairlift as well, taking punter shots. 
And when I went down to New Zealand, I thought, right, I'm going to take a camera. I'd swapped a crash helmet for an old Russian Zenith. And I'd got a, I'd got a Pentax. And I tried, to take a, I tried to take a roll of film at home, you know, before I went. And I, I, shot, I think I shot a roll of pictures of my mum's flowers in the garden, sent it to Boots, and it was blank when it came back. And I didn't, I didn't realise you had to put... I mean, this is the le- level of my photographic knowledge. I didn't realise you had to put the film in the spool. I thought he did it automatically because, you know, I was only ever used to compact cameras. So anyway, I'd got this camera gear and um, we uh, we were doing this snowboarding course and I was snowboarding away. And actually, Tony Harrow, he, he came up to me one day in, in Wanaka and he said, could you do some snowboard modeling for me? You know, I'm shooting for Powderhand magazine and we need some snowboard models. Would you like to do some modeling? And I'm like, of course, <laughs> you know. And um, so off, off I went and I, I was checking him out going, this is a bloody cool job, isn't it? He's got himself here. And, and in the end, they, they had a guy working for him and he, the guy who worked for them blew his knee and had to go back to Australia. And they were desperately trying to find a photographer. And I used to see Kath at the top of the chairlift in Wanaka and say, oh, you know, what if stop you using or what shutter speed? Not a clue really what I was talking about. And I just said to her one day, I said, uh, um, you don't need another photographer, do you? I'm looking for a job. And she said, yeah, we do want another photographer because our guy's gone home, but we want a girl. And I said, well, I've got long hair. <laughs> <laughs> and after three weeks or two weeks or something, out of sheer desperation, they gave me a job, you know. And, and Harrow, I met him. I hitchhiked up to the, the resort first morning. And he said, right, here's your film for today. And I, I looked down at the camera and I'd forgotten how to open the back of the camera. <laughs> and he, he's looking at me just going, why isn't he putting that film in the camera? And he went, do you know how to open that camera? And I went, no. <laughs> he, he said, have you done any photography? And I said, well, I've taken some photographs of my mates. And he went, well, that's how I started. Pull that lever there. So, so I... You know, I knew by this point that I had to put the film in the spool. <laughs> so that's the number one. And then we went up, we went up the chairlift and um, he said, you know, employee rules. If it's a powder day, you're not working. <laughs> You've got to get it, get it, get it, get in amongst it. You know, oh, it was just wild times. And he, then he, he I mean, I learned how to process films that night. So I shot all these people coming off the chairlift. He said, I'll oh, just put it 258, it'll be all right. And I learned how to process film that night. And in a, in a, that afternoon, he had a, a header tank from a central heating system and Patterson tanks. And I developed it, learned how to develop film. And I sold, um, I, I, did, I had to leave. And he said, I'll sell for you tonight. And I hitchhiked up the next day. And he said, oh, you should have stayed last night, mate. You know, you sold 250 books worth of pictures. <laughs> and so from day one, I, I, I made money with a camera. I mean, it was either that or plant trees in a field and I, and I, and I didn't want to plant any trees. And I remember that, that, that night I went home after the first day and my girlfriend at the time said, how did that go? I went, mm, okay, I'm not sure about this photography game. And she said the next morning, you know, are you going to go back up? I said, oh, I don't know. And she said, go give it one more day, you know. And that was, 
that was before he said you told you know you'd sold 250 books worth of pictures so the whole photography business of mine was right on a knife edge right there with that conversation oh go on go and give it one more go oh wow that's amazing and uh, so your first yeah. day you made 250 250 dollars wow yeah that's yeah. incredible and um and then so obviously you worked and you continued doing that that season and then when did you when did you then i would say move on from doing say standard standard um chairlift photographs oh yeah i mean we did that for years okay yeah um and I, I actually duplicated their business and employed them in France in the Alps and they'd fly up and work for me and then I'd go back down and work for them or whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, after I started snowboard modeling, I was thinking, right, I'd be a snowboarder, a professional snowboarder. But, you know, I never really had that. I never really had that crazy streak. I'd always got that little bit of a self-preservation streak. And I think, you know, I mean, I see some of the stuff now that these guys are doing. It's like, holy, holy crap. You know, and when you back up off the edge of that cliff and you can only, you can only see the valley, <laughs> it, gets, it gets a bit scary at times. And it, yeah, I just, I mean, and I was looking at Harrow and, I, you know, and we're doing these photographs and everything. And I'm like, God, that guy's got the job. This, that's, got, that's got the longevity in it, not this game. And, um, and yeah, and, and actually there was a pivotal moment again because bizarrely they lived at the back of our garden. So I used to run down the bottom of the our garden. We lived in a motel for the season. I used to run down the garden, jump over the fence, take, take the day's takings to him. And he would have his light box out with all this Fuji Velvia slide film on. And I'd never seen slide film. And when I saw that, I'm like, holy cow, what is that? And um, he said, this is what we shoot for magazines. And I just went, I have got to get a roll of that in my camera. So, so for, for, for those of us who perhaps who don't know the ins and outs of, I mean, obviously technology's moved on massively. I, I totally get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Could, could you perhaps give us an idea as to what that this type of film is compared to, compared to say traditional film, which perhaps we Yeah, might yeah. Well, I mean, you, a, a traditional negative, I bet nobody really even remembers negatives these days, was just brown film and it was an inverted picture. So there was no colour involved at all and you had to, you know, when you printed it, that's when it became an RGB, you know, an RGB color photograph. Um, but with slide film, it was color, color, but it wasn't a negative. It was a positive. It was like a tiny little photograph that you could see through. And Velvia was this really punchy film from Fuji that just extra saturated. And in those days, you know, red jackets, blue skies, white snow. I mean, no one had seen anything like it, really. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, yeah, so um, everything was on slide film and you put all your slides in little pockets, plastic pouches on A4 sheets and send them and, 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 and post them with FedEx to a magazine and hope they didn't lose them, you know, and then in, in, the, in the transit and then they'd get them out of their little plastic cases at the magazine and scalpel them all sorts and if you were lucky you got them back about two or three years later wow wow you know and so so when when you were when you'd be sending obviously a a, a film negative um there's usually only a, a master negative um from my understanding so even with the slides slide stuff like this, you'd be producing slides is that right and sending them off so you, you weren't giving them your originals were you or was oh yeah just... yeah oh no the originals yeah yeah so it's just like a negative but you could just see the picture rather than a brown negative um 
but yeah but that's what that you know that's what the the uh the, the industry needed for magazines and calendars and all that sort of thing and i couldn't i couldn't wait to get some in the camera and off we went and then i went back to france started i mean i duplicated the business and start and then just went off and whenever we went trying to pay the rent with you know punter shots at the top of the hill we were off i mean i used to buy velvia in bulk and, mm-hmm. and, and you could put it into a rolling machine and when we'd done the days you know developing on negative we'd keep the film cases and put them back together and then load velvia into old film cases because it was cheaper wow and i so mean in those days as well i mean what people don't realize now probably you know, in those days, I mean, now it's all instant. You just pick your phone up, take a picture, and you see it straight away. I mean, I would shoot for one month and not see a single frame. And I'd, you know, I'd, I'd store it all up and then send it off to the processors. And then you've got another week and hope the processors don't balls it all up. Mm. And then, and then you know, you, you get all your pictures back. But you take, sometimes it would take you a month to see what you'd shot. Wow. That's a good, yeah. I, mean, I always, I always figure that um, obviously, we've kind of um some of us have obviously lived through uh, part of the transition from film to, to digital that every time you you push the button on, on on the camera for as as a general consumer every time you push the button that's that's at least a pound you know so uh by the time you get a process and everything like that so obviously at your level it's probably talking especially with the high level of, of production in the film and everything like that's probably every time you push that button's what like 10 pounds worth of, of cost to you is that roughly speaking I, I mean it, it was a really expensive do really and i mean god bless the guys from the underground bar in up because i mean if it wasn't for them i wouldn't be, i wouldn't have been able to go out at all you know everything i had was held together with duct tape shoes gloves jackets everything mm-hmm. because we spent everything on film mm-hmm. we spent you know and then once you spent on the film you've got to then spend on the processing yeah so, and to, so yeah. you, you mentioned the underground bar in Alptuas, and what, what there's mm-hmm. a that seems to be a, a constant theme or link that kind of brings back a few times. So uh, you obviously you had a few friends that obviously worked there as well. Yeah, I mean my my childhood friend he still runs it now, Gareth, and um, and then the, 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 all the Cornish lads from Polzeth, they're all there. They're still there now. It's, I call it the Alptuas time machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's an it's it's been voted one of the top ten bars in the Alps. I mean it. It should, it should have heritage status, really. <laughs> a blue plaque outside of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a legendary place, such a legendary place. And you go in there now, and it's still the same as it was 30 years ago. Oh, that's you know, awesome. That's awesome. It's a dive bar, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were to take a look at, you know, as you obviously then progressed through uh, doing your um, punter shots, something like that, when did you then, I mean, you got the, the obviously the, the Velvia film, when did you mm. progress into, uh, I guess, professional? Uh, well, well I, obviously being professional, but what did you progress into doing uh, photography, it, I mean, photography, as you would call it? Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest step, really, is jumping, uh, jumping ship into this sort of uh, commercial world, as it, as it were. Um, I mean, you know, uh, when you're dealing with the general public, the cash turnover is quite quick and it's quite small. But when you're all of a sudden you're trying to deal with magazines and what have you, you have to wait to get paid and you might not get paid and they might not use your pictures. So it is a big, it is a really, you know, for me, it was a really big jump. But the first roll of Velvia I ever put in, I got a half page shot and it was the first shot I ever got published. I got a half page shot in Snowboard UK and 
and it, I was just over the moon, you know, because I, I sort of knew I was onto something. But that having something in print mm. with your name at the bottom probably spelled wrong now in my look. But, you know, that, that was that was sort of um, uh, another moment where it sort of uh, you, you, you thought, yeah, this is working. That's awesome. And then and from there, it really progressed. And then I, and then I, I, um, I bumped into the those crazy lot from four line magazine mm -hmm. and i think that it was about 1993 or 94 and i i hopped on board with those guys and then that i mean that was eight years of just carnage so, so in, in doing that you you obviously then did lots of their um seasonal shots for for uh, yeah winter and everything like that. yeah i mean at, at this point i was doing back-to-back -back winters i think That's i did true. i think i did uh, 12 back-to-backs and something crazy like 17 ski seasons in 10 years or something. I don't know. I, I think it's about that. And um, yeah. And I, now, really I mean, obviously, uh, over time, I mean, some, sometimes people would consider um, photography like, like art or anything like that. Um, how, would you, how would you describe your style of photography? And, really, um, and actually, then I'm going to ask you, how do you, from where you started from when you started with fall line to where you are now how would you describe it and how do you how do you think it's kind of changed i mean it's changed massively you know obviously with the, the digital revolution i mean the de the digital revolution has been great it's been a blessing and a curse really mm -hmm. um it's a blessing because we don't have to buy films anymore but we have to buy hard drives and computers instead <laughs> you know and the internet's been a blessing and a curse because it's made everything instant and you can get pictures to clients straight away and twitter you can get on in front of somebody's desk almost well in, on their phone almost immediately but you know uh, when when we stop photography has just died it's an, a dead industry now really pretty much because of the internet um so yeah you know um it, it's a it's a million miles away from where it was mm -hmm. when i if if someone commissions me to do a shoot i mean i Obviously, if I'm shooting for myself, I can pick the time of day. I can pick the snow conditions. I can. I have a lot more leeway, as it were, and I can create. I would say I could be more artistic when I'm working for myself. But if I'm working for, um, you know, on a shoot, you don't get that um, uh, sort of leeway. Really, you've got to shoot all day. Yeah, you start in the morning and if you can start early enough in the morning then that's your chance to get some really nice moody stuff you know and those are the you know those are the shots that everybody sees it's all about the light the composition mm. the snow you know i mean again you use so many elements that go into it because you can get the light you can get the composition you can get everything you can get a fantastic skier but then you can get boilerplate ice Mm. <laughs> and if you're yeah. trying to shoot better shots you know it's it's going to be a challenge but um and if you shoot throughout the whole day you know you're, you're out at midday in broad daylight trying to shoot and there's no the the light's hideous but you just have to crack on mm. you know where if i was if i was shooting for my own portfolio i'd probably just stop and wait mm. until that, 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 that's kind of interesting you say that because uh, as as probably amateur photographers or people who you know everybody everybody's got a phone you know <clears throat> the, i guess the perception is isn't it they try to think oh lots of light on you know at, at midday would be, would be the best shot but you're saying uh, you know avoiding that 
Uh, I mean, I've heard yeah. you know, sun, sunset and sunrise usually the best times, really, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, when when I first started, it was all about white snow, blue sky. Mm-hmm. You know, for for me anyway, that's just how I thought the world operated. That's what they wanted <laughs> to see. And um, you know, after a, after a few years, you suddenly realise, hang on, this this yeah, you've got to um, you've got to open your eyes a little bit here, son. Yeah. And you know, wind, all the elements. I mean, I, I mean, I don't even like blue sky. <laughs> I'd much rather shoot in a storm, you know. Um, yeah, so over the years, photo, photographic styles change, um, your own styles change, and you just, you just learn more, mm. you know. I mean, it's a learning curve. You know, I'm still learning now, 30 years on. <laughs> it's it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned about um, weather and everything like that. And that's uh, something which I was going to ask you about is how you kind of uh, create feelings and how you create a mood and everything like that. Because, um, you know, looking through your portfolio of some of the things, not only that we've seen from years beforehand from, from knowing the work that you've done, but also then in research for this, you know, you have some very, you have some incredibly dramatic uh, photos. And there's one which, uh, I, I think it's a snowboarder. And maybe it was you uh, that was uh, snowboarding down and it's, um, as he's kind of coming down the hill, I think the it, I think it's a black and white sort of photograph, and this the snow is almost going back up behind him, and it's just incredibly dramatic. And I'm wondering if you could share with us, you know, some or not say insider tips, but what your thoughts are for people to try to get uh, create feeling in the photographs. Yeah, I mean, um, you have to be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, half the battle is getting yourself in to the place in the first place, putting yourself in that position where if I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I've always got a I've always got a shopping list in my mem- in my mind of what I want. You know, I might I might just be watching a movie on the TV and I'll just see something and think, right, I'm going to I'm going to get that effect somewhere in, in the world on a mountain somehow. And it, you know, I make a shopping list, but if you can get yourself to where, to where you want to be, whatever you want to shoot, and see what you're up against, see, you know, see what the light's like. Do you want to back? Do you want to have it backlit, um, side lit? How is the weather? What's the snow yeah. like? You know, all that sort of thing comes into play, um, and and just be lucky. Yeah, it, the um, when you're saying that, that kind of reminds me of there's that. There's, there's a saying that, uh, not a saying that, um, no, Michelangelo, when he was, uh, when he was, was carving David or whatever, yeah, I think Michelangelo carved David. Um, he said that um, he, he knew what he was going to see inside the rock. He just had to remove everything to, 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 yeah, to yeah. the marble to, to make, to, to release, to release David. So in that same vein, do you see the photograph before you've even taken it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think well, other than I could not be dealing with all of the edits and everything with video. I mean, the reason why I don't shoot video really is because I don't look at anything. I, I just look at everything mm-hmm. as a still photograph. I frame everything, you know, and um, I, even before I swapped that, swapped that crash helmet and I was, had an Instamatic in my hand, I could see a photograph. I just didn't have the um, the knowledge 
how to get it. I could see it in my own eye. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people are like that. They can see the picture. And it's just time. Time with a camera in your hand um, will, te will teach you how to get the shot that you want, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, I mean, pretty much from day one, we've always shot on manual. If you put it on to shutter priority, aperture priority, I mean, occasionally you do if you're in a rush or something, you know. Um, but if you do that, you're, you're not the photographer then, the camera is. Mm. You know, you, you have to make all the decisions on how that picture is going to come out. And, and you have to learn how that camera works so that you can sculpt and get what you want out of the shot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, you, you mentioned the fact of, you know, kind of almost being in the right place at the, at the right time. Um, one of the things you were chatting about before here is, is the, uh, about being in the right place at the right time. We look back at, say, some, at some of your adventures and kind of go, oh my gosh, imagine being, uh, having the opportunity to, to meet and chat to all these people but for quite a while you actually had an opportunity to to live with uh, some who we would call legends these days and i guess in some cases you took some some of their photographs and uh you kind of um uh, you know were part of their story so uh for people who don't know perhaps you can maybe share some 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 of that story as well yeah i mean that was this was sort of uh 95 on 95 to about 2000 when um you know, we'd go down to New Zealand and Harrow and Kath, who I worked for down there, um, they were always going up to Jackson to go and work with the guys up in Jackson. Um, and I think, I think it was 95 or 96, I can't remember. I think it was 95 that, that the, um, the, the TGR boys had come down to make, they, they weren't even making their first movie, I think. They were making a 15-minute sort of, trailer sort of sneak peek of what they were up to um and it and it yeah it it went it was chaos it was great you know and then they came back down again in 96 and we always hired a house in Wanaka mm -hmm. somewhere or other we had a house all over Wanaka and I mean those houses were just pandemonium so from 96 onwards all the guys from the States and some, some guys from Europe would come down and just live in our house. And we, we all, we, there was five of us every year. There was five of us living in this house and um, it was a media house, basically. I mean, Mark, Marco Shapiro had it on a much better scale. I think during the seventies and the, and the uh, early eighties in, uh, in Verbier. Um, but yeah, we sort of, we had a similar sort of thing going and all, all these guys who were coming through that, you know, movies like The Tribe, they were just coming out and all these, uh, you know, the next generation on from Scott Schmidt and Glenn Plake and all those guys. I mean, although those guys carried on, you know, skiing and, the, you know, the Egan brothers and Warren Miller, there's all these new um, media film companies coming out, Matchstick Productions, all this making movies and all these new names came and, you know, we had Kent Kreitler, Chris Davenport. I mean, Chris came down, he just won the World Extremes. There was Shane McConkey was there, Micah Black. Uh, the You know, the, all the Jones brothers were there. Um, and, 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 and they were just filming their, their movies down, down with us. I mean, we had so many people in our lounge at one point. Uh, I think it was 96 or 97. We had so many people in our lounge. There were 16 people sleeping on our lounge floor. 
and there was a couple there, so they pitched a North Face tent in the lounge so they could get a bit of privacy. <laughs> but it, but it was, it was, it was amazing. And I, and I think, I think one year as well with with the TGR boys and and Chris and Kent and Shane and all these guys, and we were going to hire Harvey's helicopter, backcountry helicopters. We were all going to put in five thousand kiwi, and and we were going to have the helicopter to ourselves for the entire season. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Legends of the Brand. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Listen, drop us an email at info at legendsofthebrand.com. That's info at legendsofthebrand.com if you'd like to reach out and get in touch. And make sure to check out the show notes also at all the W's at legendsofthebrand.com. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.